Welcome, everybody. This is Fred Shankelberg, and welcome to today's Ascendo Reliability webinar um, event. Um, the topic title, I uh, when I first was thinking down and thinking about what to talk about through the year, um, this one was sparked from the relationship, both my own experience in my career, but also in the bodies of knowledge of both the reliability and quality uh, bodies of knowledge. Um, is that there's an overlap. And, uh, you know, I've seen that in places, I've not seen it in other places. And um, I wanted to explore that a little bit. Uh, we did a podcast recently recorded that I, uh, Diana Dini and I explored the relationship between these two concepts a bit, um, written an article about it, which is getting picked up and, and by a couple of other outlets and, and being republished. So that's pretty cool. So it's a uh, Obviously, it's a very broad or very big topic, or could be. Um, so I'm going to usually, as usual, make my own spin on this and stuff. And we've got the chat window and question windows, or I've got them open and monitoring. So if you got any comments or thoughts, and I'll be asking a few questions as we go, as usual. So let's see if I can control my slides here. There we go. So quality. Um, I've heard so many different definitions of what quality is, and it's um, from there's, I think it was, I don't think it was Demi, and it might have been Duran or one of those guru types years ago said there's 14 aspects, uh, and reliability is one part of it, form, fit, and functions another, specifications. I mean, it went on and on and on, all kinds of cool stuff that. Uh, would create a spectrum of, of ways customers think about what quality is. And it runs uh, throughout the process of, is it, does it do what it's supposed to do? Does it solve a problem elegantly? Is it the right uh, shape and does it feel good? Um, and, and one of the things I found interesting about quality, and I often use this example um, it, we use this example of uh, a Mercedes car door closing, the sound of it, versus a, a Yugo, which I don't think, I'm not even sure if those are being made anymore, uh, or a Volkswagen Bug from the, from the 60s, uh, that door closing. Now, they have completely different mechanisms and amount of mass and all kinds of other characteristics of them, but they sound completely different. They're on a on a continuum of quality. And if you value the, the sound of a solid, secure, uh, well-engineered, precision-constructed, all these other things of the Mercedes car door, you would appreciate that sound. Now, if your criteria on door closing is that it just keeps the mud from splashing on you as you're driving on the road, the Volkswagen does just fine, and that meets your criteria. The hard thing about quality, uh, in my mind, is it's up to the customer. It's what they describe it as. So if two people pick up a phone, one will say it's beautiful and great, another one go as clumsy and clunky, uh, or as more people would say, slippery. Um, 
it's left to the individual to define quality at the end of the day. Now, we do a lot of work all across the board, uh, across the organization to understand, well, what are those expectations and requirements and needs and try to create a product or a system or a process that meets those conditions and criteria. And of course, there's gazillions of them and there's always changing. That's an interesting part about quality. Um, so that, that's one aspect uh, of today's topic. Another is reliability. And oh, by the way, let's see, Carl, yes, there's a, um, it's not a certificate per se, but it's a confirmation of attending uh, that comes out. Um, uh, there's two messages that are queued up. One of them is uh, saying, sorry, you couldn't attend. We're going to have a recording available. And the other one says, thank you for attending. And it gives the title and date and stuff like that. And, and that along with the abstract is typically sufficient to, to claim continuing education or um, recertification points and those kinds of things. And I'm working on a process to actually do that uh, I found a, a, a system that you can play the video and the ma learning management system tracks that you've actually watched the whole thing. It doesn't know if you're in the room or not, but you played the whole thing and then it'll, it'll issue a certificate. So I'm, I'm working on that for our library. We got close to 150 webinars, I think, recorded. So I'll try to make those available in a more coherent way. So anyway, um, Years ago, I worked at Hewlett Packard, and one of the things in the corporation is every now and then they decided they're going to use have a new brand image, and they used a, a brand new set of templates for our letterhead and logo and presentations and all this other stuff, and they included a, a library of images that were pre-formatted in this odd, not oval, not square shape, but some other shape, uh, rounded edges. And they had hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of images of products, of customers, of all kinds of concepts. And so at the time I was working in reliability and I thought, well, I'm doing a presentation on reliability. Um, let's see what kind of images come up when I type in that keyword. And they had four images, all four were of German shepherds. And that was it. it according to the marketing team that created the image library, that represented reliability better than anything. So that's where the, the idea for the images today came in. Reliability, um, just yesterday I saw an article uh, by Diana Dini that, uh, or a, uh, one of her podcast episodes in her show notes, she had a Venn diagram and it had safety. And, and I don't remember, there was like two or three other things in the center of the Venn diagram that had their own little circles and around them, was reliability and around that was quality. And so that's one way to look at the relationship between reliability and quality is that reliability is a subset of quality. And I, it's hard to argue with that. The other part, and this one comes in what I've seen in practice is that, well, let me know in the chat window, if something, if you're sending out a product and it comes back in two weeks from when it got shipped, is that a quality issue or is that a reliability issue? What do you think? Hit the chat window. What do you think about that? 
All right, Sean, yeah, Mark, well, yeah, I, th I like Mark, your answer is good. Well, let's find out, shipping quality, yeah. Well, nobody said software. I'd always blame software because they can fix anything, right? I'm just being facetious there. The In practice, if products come back within whatever that organization defines as the uh, out-of-box uh, failure span or early failures or whatever, they tend to, if there's both reliability folks and quality folks, they tend to just say, all right, this goes to quality. This goes to the manufacturing team in the manufacturing quality team in particular. And then they do the failure analysis and sort it up. And if it's after that period of time, say it's at six months or a year, then it goes to the reliability team or some subset of that group. Now, many organizations just have one process, call centers and, and sustaining engineers, basically they do a little bit of both. And so it varies from organization to organization. But I've seen one organization after another artificially define uh, some cutoff point. This is a quality issue. This is a reliability issue. When I think, Mark, you had the right idea. Well, let's do some failure analysis and figure out what's going on with this. You know, the customer is not labeling this, oh, this is a quality issue. This is a reliability issue. They just say, hey, it's not working. Now, it could be working because it's the wrong color. But if that wrong color is because we designed it improperly for their uh, aesthetic of what it, color it should be, well, that's a in the grander scope of things, many of us would agree that's a quality issue. We missed the mark on meeting that quality criteria for that customer. Reliability would be, we shipped a product out with this baby blue, but as soon as it hit the sun, it turned into this kind of mooker looking ugly, uh, Yale pale blue green modeled ugly looking thing. Well, actually sounds pretty good, but anyway, you know what I mean. And if that color changed, then we would say, well, that's the durability, the reliability. It faded, it transformed, it wore out, it did something like that, and we would call that a reliability issue. The labels we put on it is pretty artificial. It really doesn't matter. It's, it's back to what's the problem? Where in our process do we not get, not get this right? And what can we do about it? And it doesn't matter whether we call it quality or reliability at that point, but I might be getting ahead of myself a little bit. All right, customers, another big facet of this conversation, and I've touched on it a little bit, is customers the finer arbiter of both quality and reliability. If it's doing what it's supposed to do and it it meets the it provides a solution for the customer it does what it's supposed to do they meets their initial expectations that's great we say we created a quality product if it doesn't do that for the year that they expect it to do it or 10 years or whatever their time frame is that they say this should work for this long i just ran into somebody that has a uh, a couple of days ago, I was talking to a friend of mine and he showed me his iPhone. I think it was an iPhone three. It was all duct taped together and all of the other stuff, but it was still working. He hadn't been able to update it and been able to get new apps for it and everything else. But the basic things like calendar and, and contact list and, and it sent and received calls and can browse 
was working just fine. So he did, saw no reason to update it. And it, I don't know how old it is. It must be 10 years plus old. And it's working just fine, uh, except for the screen. Uh, one too many drops. But duct tape over a clear packing tape over it was a perfect workaround. So he kept it going. He was talking about maybe upgrading to an iPhone 6 or something like that. But other customers want to change it over every year. They want the new features. They want the new performance. They want the longer battery life, whatever. They're pushing the edge of it. Now, not every customer is the same. And every customer has their own set of what they consider essential for them to be satisfied with the product. We break it down artificially into quality and reliability and performance and features and price and all these other aspects that we in the manufacturing side of creating products um, have the illusion of control over. Now, the quality team and the reliability team both have to listen to customers and suss out what it is that they need, what is their expectation. And so some of this is very similar in what we're doing, slightly different types of focus or questions. And sometimes we miss it. And then we have quality or reliability issues or problems, or as we used to say at HP, opportunities. But at the end of the day, it's the customers that count. And what they, their criteria or their, uh, uh, what they say it is, is what it is. And that's, no solace if you're trying to design a product and you don't know what your customers are going to do with it. Um, and that's a big part of, of what both teams actually work on. All right, here's a potentially a hypothetical question. Um, do you require a quality team or a quality manager? Is that a requirement? Is that written anywhere that you have to have this? In my travels and visiting factories all over the world, the almost always I was met by a quality manager that then went death by PowerPoint and told us how great their program was. And then eventually we got out onto the floor and found out whether they're telling the truth or not. Some organizations have a quality manager just as a face to the customers or visitors or 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 you know, auditors, those kinds of things. Yeah, and, and you're right, Michael, sometimes it depends on if they wanna be ISO certified or not, but I would contend that you really don't need a reliability or a quality team or manager to get ISO certified. Remember the essence of it is you do what you say you're gonna do and you do it, you, you say what you're gonna do and you do what you say. And it could be a quality management process or a quality system of any kind, or, or even in the risk world, risk management system. Um, and a lot of times we assign somebody to run that and they may be the quality team or quality manager, or it could be the program manager. It, it, the title is really in not required. When I was at Hewlett Packard, that was driven home because um, there were very few uh, quality teams or reliability teams, even fewer reliability teams. Now, over across the street, down the road from us was a Northrop Grumman 
or a McDonnell Douglas, some Air Force uh, or aerospace company. And they had massive quality and reliability teams that had whole buildings to themselves, right? There was rare to find anybody at HP with a reliability engineer on their, on their title. And there were a few quality folks throughout the organization. And oftentimes it was somebody assigned to do those tasks, but they were actually a lead engineer of something, or they were a manager of production or something like that. They was just built into other parts of it. The end of the day is if we're trying to create a consistent or quality product, right? Do you need a team to do that? Or do you need an organization that does those kinds of activities, which create a consistent quality product? So it's uh, something to think about. Um, and all, many of us have heard in, in these fields have heard that if, well, we're working ourselves out of a job, which we never seem to quite be able to do. So let's take a look at it a little deeper. Quality uh, tends to focus, and this is a gross oversimplification, and there's many, many variants and variations of what quality and quality organizations, quality teams, organizations that focus on quality is what they actually do. But some of it, it starts with, well, what's the customer want? And how do we understand that? And some of that is from call centers. Some of it is from field returns. Some of it's from surveys and audits. Some of it's working with, with uh, marketing organizations and listening to customers and group studies and, and uh, doing uh, uh, early, early uh, prototypes so that we can get customers to take a look at it. Um, but sussing out what a customer wants is, not always, and, and I found it rare that it was a quality function, but if we don't get those criteria right uh, and understand what the customer wants, and we often call it the voice of the customer uh, through the life cycle of the product, uh, we don't get the specifications right. Now, I've also seen quality teams that are very focused on process. They get overboard on the ISO standardization type stuff. Uh, it's like, this is a flow chart for this, and there's a flat uh, uh, nine-step process for this. And I thought, saw one team years and years ago, they had a, a nine-page carbon uh, form because in different colors with each one, because then when, when you had a, a field return, then this page would go here and that page would go there and everything. And I was like, this is just bureaucracy for the sake of bureaucracy. Let's focus in on what's the core of this element that we're trying to solve and not make it overly complex. Let's solve the problems and not create a, a process that can account for every iteration, every contingency, every element of it, because we're dealing with people and people can make decisions. And if it happens to be forced that you only do this process, um, we're gonna miss opportunities and the other side of it is, is that we're going to be consistent about the output that we actually get. So things like SPC and, and process control and process capability and understanding those things, not for the sake of just doing it, but for actually using it to influence design and monitoring and maintaining small variations within the output of our products. Those are good things about process. Uh, it, it can cut either way. Um, but the 
some look for consistency. Some, I had one group that they would not specify the reliability target, which was, I think, five years uh, in some percentage surviving uh, for their product uh, because they didn't know how to measure it. And we'll talk some more about that. But they also then had every specification that they could measure, uh, they would tag, and that was part of their, and I always get validation and verification wrong. I think it was verification. It, or one of the Vs is they would run tests and, and simulations and measurements and all kinds of stuff to make sure that the products as designed and built would meet the specifications desired. And it was a process they used to, to go about doing that. And which is fine. It helped create accountability. It helped create tracking, all those other things, things like Kappa, uh, corrective action. Uh, I forget what the P stands for. Oh, I've drawn a complete blank on what it is. I'll use fracas instead, failure reporting and corrective action system. Um, but the idea is, is that sometimes our processes take time, you know, doing the root cause analysis, doing the analysis, following up as did the fix actually fix the problem may take time to sort out and to roll into an efficient way into production or into the design changes. Sometimes that gets complicated just because there's so many different topics that come up into it. And so we use systems like a process called Fracas or Kappa to manage that, just to keep track of all the elements and all the pieces that are in within that. And quality can run from part specification and consistency of that individual part coming into our product, all the way to understanding the total experience the customer has when they interact with our stores, with our packaging, with our instructions, with our call center, with our product, and so on. It, it can be a very, very broad scope. And usually teams will pick one or more of these uh, elements, maybe up to three or four of them to really focus on and to, to bring to bear various elements of it. And of course it can change as the life cycle of a product evolves. It may be very much focused on voice of customer early on and getting the specifications correct, and then shifting to the procedures involved in making a consistent product and, and consistently responding to customers' queries. So it can range all over the map for what quality is and, and can be within an organization. Now, the value of quality it can sometimes be simply that it's an internal force is for lack of a better word or concept that says, if we're trying to create a product that our customers delight in or enjoy or will buy or will not throw away and never buy again, we draw some line as an organization, we draw some line saying, all right, for our price point, for what we're trying to do, the problem we're trying to solve, we want it to be this good. And I'm drawing a line in the air here. You know, we want it to be this good. Another organization, one of those competitors may be saying, well, we're gonna charge more and we're gonna make it all gold plate and we're gonna make it this good, a much higher line in the air here I'm sitting at my desk. And the value that we add is our ability to hit that target. What is our business objective? What's our customer's expectation? 
And so the quality processes and procedures and techniques that we quality folks bring to the table help us achieve those objectives. And, and that's where the value comes in. So if we can, all it takes is one really good Six Sigma project to solve some pernicious issue using a simple tool like a, I say simple, but a tool like design of experiments because we quality folks tend to bring uh, statistics to the table or they should. And they solve a problem that has some troublesome interaction term into it. And DOE was just the right tool to go about doing it. And they could facilitate the team to bring that uh, solution to bear. Um, you can add up the value of that skill set pretty quick. Um, manning a, a call center and just running the call center efficiently but not actually solving problems is not that much of value. It becomes a cost center at that point. But if they're actually helping customers solve problems and feeding back to the design teams and manufacturing teams in a meaningful way that they can take action and make improvements, this continuous improvement thing, you can quantify the value that that quality process is bringing to the table. And quality teams also get involved with you know, something's not right. Our scrap rate's too high, for example. And so let's let's get a quality engineer in here and let's make some measurements. Let's do a measurement system analysis. Let's monitor the process, what's working, what's not working, what's changed. It's basic trouble solving or problem solving. It could involve a team or it could involve some investigation or work. And again, the change from we have too much scrap to not as much scrap, that solves a problem. And it, it adds to the value of the organization. So that's many, many ways. And these are just some simple ways that quality brings value to an organization. Now, flaws, and this is my favorite part of it. Um, we've often seen, and, and Hollywood's probably cemented this for us, is whenever a quality person, quality engineer or manager or technician is seen on screen, is they have a lab coat on and a clipboard and they're basically saying that's good, that's bad. And, or doing an audit or looking for things in a process that's not done according to the written process, whether it's the right process or not. Um, the other part I, I got, and I, it's fading, but we still see it in so many different organizations is that, well, we've got specifications that's good enough. Now, I know that this audience fully realizes that just inside the spec is not as good as something that's spot on the design intent. And so the issue is, is that if it's a continuous improvement and trying to increase the ability of us to create pretty much identical products as much as we possibly can, reducing variation, independent if it's just in spec or not, um, is a way that we can add value. Whereas some quality teams go, hey, it's in spec, ship it. And, and then they miss all kinds of opportunities to actually improve their product and, and actually save a lot of money. And so I, one of the flaws is that it, there's gotta be a process and I see it in the better organizations where they review the processes, they review the spec setting, they review the product life cycle to look for those opportunities to continue to improve. Whereas 
we've got a process, we're going to do it, we're cost too much to change it. I think that's a flaw that some teams get trapped in is that they try to stay with what they have rather than applying more of this continuous improvement type thing uh, to it. Um, and I already mentioned this, this team that said, well, we're not gonna uh, check that because we don't know how to measure it. Is it important to the customer? Oh, critically important to the customer. Okay, let's sit down and talk about what are we gonna do about that? But their process wouldn't allow them to go past the step uh, where we're gonna, we're gonna go track this down because they didn't conceive of a way to measure it. Their loss, I say. All right, you might already know the answer to this. Do we need a reliability team or a reliability manager or a reliability engineer? No, you don't. Um, in the, I don't know, close to 200 or so organizations I did an audit on or assessment on, not an audit, but an assessment and tried to figure out what it is they did such that they achieved the reliability that they, they enjoyed or didn't enjoy. And there are plenty of examples of teams that don't have anybody with the title reliability and they're doing really, really well, hitting their targets. Customers love their products and they're very durable and, and they have a, a streamlined process of creating them and making sure they meet their targets and so on. And there was nobody in the organization that had the title or the primary role of being the reliability person and vice versa. I've seen teams that, that had three layers of management and, and a whole raft of folks in it, and they were pretty much useless. They were to be avoided. And it goes back to, I mentioned earlier, is that it's really, does the organization get these concepts of, around quality and reliability and in, integrate them into their organization. And so the quality and reliability folks are really more cheerleaders and influencers to promote the culture around creating a, 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 a quality or reliable product and reliable product. It's, if the product has poor quality at the end of the day, is it the quality engineer's fault? Well, it might be, but no. Not really. Same with reliability. Um, we can bring a lot of influence to the team, but we can't create the actual product. Uh, we may influence it. We may be a participant in that whole process, but at the end of the day, we're not the final arbiter on this. We're not making those decisions. Now, reliability. We get focused on design for reliability, the durability, the longevity, some of us get really deep into failure analysis, material science. Some of us get really involved in um, uh, uh, design uh, practices and simulations and say physics of failure type analysis, all of those kinds of cool things. Um, but some of us also get involved with supplier consistency and, and durability or consistency of their products so that that variation doesn't impact the long-term reliability of our product. Uh, and we can get deep into material science. We can get can, you know, really wrapped around the axle around a wide range of topics, but we can also be very much like the quality team where we're working to understand what is the customer's expectation. How long do they need this product to last? In what conditions? 
And then are we creating a product that will meet those criteria? And so it starts with understanding the customer, much like the quality uh, focuses and can go all the way through the entire process, including deep into material science and to statistics and to the scientific methods uh, and into uh, process variation and process capabilities and on and on and on. We use a lot of the same tools the quality team does. And we work over the life cycle like the quality team does or the quality people do. Both organizations, both areas of focus include the entire life cycle and nearly the entire organization from marketing to legal, to customer service, to uh, spares allocation, to design and everywhere in between. And so we both have a very broad ability to, to select focuses and, and it often evolves through the product life cycle. The value we bring, and many of you know, I've been talking about the value of reliability a lot, um, is really that we can help organizations meet their customers and business objectives. That it, and it can range from time to market and launching on time and, and bringing a consistent, durable product to the market on time because of the value that brings to the organization, or it might be cost, or it might be that it's a, a price premium we got or a low failure rate and reducing warranty. It could be that our manufacturing process creates consistent products with low maintenance costs and, and consistent um, uh, availability of our equipment and so on. The value can span in there's whole webinars. There's whole, I even have a book on the subject. There's many different ways we reliability brings value. Now, nearly every single one of those could be a value that the quality team brings. So there really is a lot of similarity between the two organizations of where our focus is and where our, how we bring value to the, uh, to the product and to our customers. Flaws? Well, as you know, walking into a room, well, as you know, if you're a reliability person, if you walk into the room and say, oh, that'll never work, or here's all the ways it can fail, or we just got this in the lab and we, we stressed it a little bit and it melted or it failed or it broke apart or it stalled or it, you know, clamped, it uh, welded shut or, you know, whatever. Um, we're the agents of doom, essentially. We, I had one person tell me that, you know, you guys talk about failure. You're all in the failure space, how things don't work. Where I'm a design engineer and I'm trying to get it to work. So I'm in the success space. I want it, I'm in the, the happy space of making it work. And you just bring me down, man, is kind of his phrase in that moment. And I realized that I was doing that. You know, I walk in to see a design or a product or a prototype or a production line or whatever, and I go, oh, that looks like that could fail. That could be a problem. What's that sound? That doesn't sound right. I just naturally do it. I often joke that it's difficult for us reliability folks to get on an airplane. And uh, especially when I made it a habit of checking that the there used to be, well, I don't know if it still is, but on 737s when you walk in the door, right above the door would be a little slip of paper like you would see on an elevator that would have its registry number. Um, and it was the date put into service. And some of them were getting older than my kids. Uh, like, oh, okay, this, and my kids were old. 
at that time. So he's like, okay, maybe I should volunteer to walk around the plane with the pilot, you know, and well, maybe not. I'll go find my seat. We know that a, 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 that everything will fail eventually. It will wear out, it'll degrade, it'll uh, stop functioning, it won't be compatible. It, it'll not create the function that it's supposed to do. It will fail one way or the other. Eventually everything's gonna melt in the, in the sun novas, right? Eventually everything will fail. And it's a job security for us. But we often come across as the agent of doom that we do an FMEA and we tell them the 57 ways that their product is ugly. And, and nobody likes that. It's the flaw we bring to the table. We just know too much about how things don't work. We need to be careful with that. We're also really bad at estimating field reliability when we use methods and procedures that are so outdated and just nonsensical. And I'm thinking about parts count predictions. That just, unless you've got your products from your designs, from your supply chain with down to the component, down to the failure mechanism types databases, parts count really doesn't work. Sorry to say. Um, and there's plenty of other methods out there. And I'll, I'll try to avoid getting on a, a chair and ranting about it, but MTBF, for example, why do we use that at all ever? Yet it's prevalent. And so we've got a long way to go just in our own world to get things right and to improve our ability to work with others. Um, and just like quality teams, yeah, we can do better and be cautious of how we drop into some of these uh, uh, problem areas so that you can be more effective. All right, I think I mentioned this right off the stop. I kind of stole my own thunder here. Um, who deals with field returns? You know, in your organization, is it the quality team? Is it the reliability folks? Is it sustaining engineering, which is kind of, in my mind, when I've seen those teams, they're kind of a mix between the two. Is it manufacturing or operations that deal with it? Is it, uh, you outsourced it to somebody else to deal with? Um, you, you take the failure, isolate it to which vendor you think caused the problem and send it off to them. And they tell you no trouble found in a couple of weeks. And then you're back to square one. Who deals with field returns? And it says a lot about an organization is that when they're delivered a return that the customer says, hey, it's not working. It doesn't meet the expectations. That's gold. That's actually invaluable information. The customer took the time to give you this information, this gift. And if it's, oh, I don't want to deal with that. That's a dead end. That's nobody gets any value out of that, blah, blah, blah. Then that's a problem. But if you're using, uh, it doesn't matter who's dealing with it, but if they can extract the information and get good value out of it, well, that's a pretty good deal. That's a influence in the design, influence manufacturing, influence in suppliers. You can add a lot of value by doing a decent job at field dealing with field returns. Asset recovery. Let's see, reliability mostly. Um, 
Oh, good. So you have a team that actually builds a team to deal with it. Excellent. That's a good way to go about doing it. Make it flexible and get the right people on the team to deal with the different types of returns that you're getting. That's a good idea. All right. How about the quality and reliability teams? If you've got one or the other, or if you're the sole reliability person inside a quality team, or you're a part of the quality organization, which is more common than not, uh, or that you're you're focused on the reliability and the design, you're in the design team's realm, right? The development process and the quality team's more in manufacturing or however you're organized. One idea is that we can actually leverage what the other team knows, right? If you've got a, a really crackerjack team that does SPC and so, and supplier management really well, right? And they understand consistency and they understand the balance of, 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 of how the variability impacts the performance of the product, all of those aspects of process capability, I'm thinking of. Well, just make have that discussion with them and, and work with them to understand, well, these are the areas where the variability matters. It impacts the performance of the product once it's in the field, you can avoid saying it's a quality performance or a reliability performance. But if it doesn't meet those requirements, we suspect or know that we're going to get more field returns and customer complaints, right? So by working with that team that really knows the process capability and supplier process management, and focusing on those critical to quality or critical to reliability, pick whatever term works for them, you can minimize field returns. And if they already know how to do all this stuff, and I'm talking to it as if I'm a reliability engineer to a quality team, let them get involved with that and expand that knowledge they have and to make it of good value to the organization. The other part is, is that we do product testing and specification verification, right? Both teams do this. And both activities do this. We often, in many organizations, have a single lab that has the chambers in it and all these other aspects of it. It's, if they're doing some, and I've run into this number of times, if, if they're doing a set of environmental tests uh, for some regulatory requirement, can we leverage that setup for learning about the reliability performance of the product? You know, maybe we just run it a little bit longer. So we run to failure to see what kind of margin we got, or we take the exact same setup, same process and procedure, but add a few more samples to it so that we have a, a bit more information coming out of that test than the minimum requirement piece of it. But by working together, environmental testing and regulatory testing and uh, performance testing and uh, compatibility, all of those aspects overlap significantly with both quality and reliability objectives. And so look for those opportunities where we can leverage each other's strengths and or capabilities and, and make the best of that. And then those are pretty common sense ones. Another one is, is you got another person in the room, if you have a quality and a reliability person on the team that both share that unique visibility of a larger organization. 
So if I'm talking to an electrical engineer in product development, they know about the circuit boards and they deal with the, the, the um, uh, uh, mechanical folks because of where they have to put their circuit boards and they have to deal with the software team because of the capability of the software and how much memory and how much needs to go on the circuit board, for example. But they rarely get involved with marketing or with manufacturing or all these other aspects of the organization, whereas the quality reliability people do. And so we can, we have an ally in our span of visibility across an organization, and they may see it slightly different than we do, but we both have that perspective that's of great value to a development team or for an operations team. Uh, the other piece is that we, like SPC, is we both have a whole bunch of skills from, and I list a few of them here, is FMEA, RCA, and so on, uh, both in understanding the procedures, how these processes work, but we also tend to be the people facilitating those processes. And so if they're really good at facilitating FMEAs, go for it. We'll take care of the RCAs with the root cause analysis stuff or vice versa or in combination. There's different points of view or strengths in both types of uh, organizations or types of focus of, of individuals that they bring to the table. And so understanding what these various teams have to offer and then leveraging it so that you can get um, more done with less effort, for example, and avoid uh, duplicating effort, um, again, just adds value to your organization. It, another piece of this is that, in my experience anyway, many organizations have a senior a quality manager of some sort somewhere in the organization that tends to have a voice to the senior management team and maybe even to the board, the board of directors for your organization. And are, if they understand what we're trying to achieve and it meets their objectives, which generally at the higher levels, quality and reliability get intermixed so much that they're synonyms basically, that it may be your access to the higher management teams if you're not already there yourself. The other thing is, is the quality teams are more prevalent in organizations than reliability teams. So I found it a great place to find money for testing facilities and test capability and for um, creating guidelines and, and uh, manuals and, and tech and get a good process-oriented quality team focused on creating a, a life, including reliability in the life cycle, let them go. They might overdo it a bit. You might have to rein them in. But the idea is, is that the budgeting may be strong with the quality team because they've got the influence of their history or per, you know uh, uh, connections in the organization that they can budget for things that you individually can't or vice versa, right? We may have a, a, a great deal to bring in a halt deal, but we need quality to help us to set up the processes and the procedures and the techniques for maintaining that equipment and, and integrate it into the, the, uh, all of the calibration systems and everything else that goes with creating a good, robust testing facility. Well, we can leverage that. We can work together to make those things happen. 
the bottom line is, is that if we both understand, both quality and reliability people understand what's the objective, we can create our own strategies to get there. And we can definitely work together to make that happen. Now, the, the, there's some organizations I've seen that these two entities and or even just the quality or just the reliability team uh, are really at odds with the rest of the organization. And it's frustrating to see because they have the potential to add so much to the organization. And part of it is this, the, the how does the organization view and respond to when somebody says, hey, we're trying to create a quality product, which is a vague, uncertain concept. Quality at what level? Because what I think is high quality may not be the same as what you think it is. Well, how do we articulate that? How do we ask the right questions? How do we ask the right, um, set up the right framework so that when we want to create the best in class or we want to create a consistent product at this price point, that we have a language and a set of ways to think about it and articulate it such that we can achieve that objective. And that's really the culture of the organization is how do we go about working together across the organization to achieve our business and customers objectives. And so working together is, is the way to go. And teamwork is just an over the top on that thing. It's in some organizations, and I've worked in a number of them where I'm the only reliability person. So I need a better team. So I go find what I would call reliability minded people. Some of them were quality folks. Some of them were supply management folks. Some were, um, you know, in marketing or, or in the training organization or wherever. But you can build the team in your organization with like-minded people that are trying to achieve the customer and business objectives. And, and then by pulling those together, it actually does good things for your own career you will get recognized of putting these kinds of cross-functional teams together, um, despite what your manager might say. Uh, well, that was personal experience. But the idea is, is that if we can make, if we can achieve the objectives, if we can get the pro product to, to be manufactured consistently and we have suppliers that consistently give us reasonable and good products, uh, and components to put into it, that we have a process to uh, check, step, and verify our products are meeting our objectives, that we have a way of making sure that our customers give us feedback in a meaningful way, that we're meeting their requirements. Um, and we have this all wrapped into a continuous improvement process. We're going to have a, a pretty decent organization there. And at some point, you the stop working on the day-to-day -day things and start working more and more on strategy things, on cultural type things within your organization. And it's not that we don't ever work on that. It's that it becomes so ingrained that this is what we do. This is how we go about designing and manufacturing and delivering products that, that the basics of the day-to-day -day stuff starts to get integrated into the rest of the organization. Now, if you've ever gone into an organization and said, so do you have field data? So, oh, yeah, somebody collects it somewhere. You might take you two weeks to figure out where it is and how to get a hold of it and what the various columns in the database mean, all those kinds of things. Um, in an organization that gets it and the value of that information, 
it just becomes a natural part of the process. It's immediately available in a meaningful way when you need it. So part of what we do is creating the systems and structures within our organization. And we definitely need teams to do that across the organization. And then as those get built, we start looking at more strategy and cultural type things so that it gets uh, embedded across the organization. And it goes back to that concept is working yourself out of a job, right? So if your full-time job is just gathering field data from the various databases, and you can create a system that does that naturally or automatically, well, now you don't have that job anymore. It's not a bad thing. There's better things you could be doing and so on as, as you keep evolving this process and keep building teams to solve problems, make things efficient such that you get the right information to the right people at the right time. And at this point, I'm talking about both quality and reliability. It doesn't really matter what the title is. So which adds more value? They both have the potential. Quality and reliability both have the potential to add a significant amount. Now, of course, I'm biased. I always think reliability has way more value than quality, um, but I could be convinced otherwise. So that's what I got for today. Um, in the end of the day, though, you know, we're all just trying to solve problems, which I would call engineering. So I'll stick on the line here. Uh, hopefully everything's still working and uh, we'll get some uh, answer any questions you may have or comments and uh, we'll go from there. Thanks so much for attending. And uh, let me find my chat window here and see if, if there's anything online here. Carl, quality is number one. Yeah, they didn't work so well as a slogan for some organization. Let's see. Lots of thank yous. Appreciate that. Separate team. I got that one. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Reliability is better. Yeah, we kind of depends on where your skill set is. If you like things breaking, it's, you know, reliability is it. Yeah, um, the MTBF stuff, there's, there's uh, a whole website I created years ago that has all kinds of content and ideas and concepts and what to do. Um, it's called nomtbf.com, N-O-M-T-B-F. Oops, M-T-B-F. And um, there's a handful of authors there. It uh, continues to get great traffic. I, I need to start writing again for it and, and revive it some, but there's tons of articles on there and there's a handful of things that say, well, what do you do different? How do you get around it? And, and recently, I've been hearing that some people haven't been able to get to it, and I, I don't know why. So if, if that's an issue, maybe I'll, I'm going to start considering moving M, no MTBF over to Ascendo. Um, and there are a few topics on Ascendo that go into this also. There's actually a really good webinar by Chris uh, Jackson on MTBF. Let's see if I can find that. If you send me an email, I'll see what I, other resources are, are available out there. But uh, no MTBF is the, is the, the golden pot at the end of the rainbow for that topic. All right, welcome everybody. All right, good, I'm glad it's working for you. All right, cool. 
Well, it looks like people are heading off to the rest of their day and it's all good. So I'm going to go ahead and end the recording.